evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. If everybody will be, open your Bible to the book of Daniel. And your pew Bibles, that will be on 780, 780. And we'll have uh, slides helping us along tonight, but many of the texts that we read tonight will not be on the slides. So be sure and open up your Bibles so we can study God's Word together during this time of our worship. It's been a wonderful day, and I believe that it's going to be a wonderful week. It is exciting to think about all of the opportunities that God has laid before us this week. And let's make sure that we do what we can do to make it the success uh, that it ought to be and give God all of the credit. You know, this afternoon, the widows and widows were hosted by the McIndoos at lunch, and it was a full house, and oh, it was so delicious, and the fellowship was so warm and wonderful. We're blessed with such good folks. The, the, the sit around the table and to visit, what a blessing it is to have such wonderful folks as a part of the family of God. Also to think, as we mentioned this morning, several trips, in just a week and a half, we'll have a team leaving for the Ukraine and they will conduct four vacation Bible schools, four different locations over the two and a half weeks. Now, when we go to El Salvador, we really don't call the kids' classes that we teach vacation Bible school. But if we did, that would put us as a congregation hosting nine vacation Bible schools this year. Uh, what an amazing feat that is to think of so many opportunities and so many individuals stepping up uh, for that to take place. And let's all make sure that we do our part to make this week a success. Be praying about it. Be inviting. And as already been mentioned tonight, uh, there's opportunities to help that those slots need to be filled. So be thinking and figuring out how you can be a part of it. And let's look forward to seeing all that God has planned. Faith or fear? Do you see those two that they work against each other? If by the time the lesson is over tonight that you can say, that's clear in my mind. I understand that if I'm going to be faithful, I have to stop being fearful. And that when I am fearful, that's a time that ought to shoot up a red flag for me to say, wait a minute. I need to calm down. And I need to put my faith in God. And I need to make sure that I respond at this moment, not out of fear, but out of faith. And if we've accomplished that tonight, we've learned a life lesson that could change our eternal destination. Tonight, let's make sure that we all commit our life with such faith to God that fear would never turn us away from God. How afraid would you be if a furnace was being heated up? Now that alone is amazing, but seven times hotter than normal. So hot that when the doors open for the ones going to throw you into the furnace, that their lives would be taken just because of the heat that comes out of the furnace. Would you start doing things that was against God's will out of fear? Now you know that story in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a powerful story. It's a story about young men that decided somewhere in their life that they would never allow fear to overcome their faith. What an example. Now, I would consider that a great act of faith, and I'm sure you would too. Now, do you think one day they just woke up and, and that, that situation, that temptation just fell in their lap, and without ever giving thought to faith, they just said, No, Nebuchadnezzar. We won't give in. We're going to stand up for our God. No, 
The first thing that I need to see tonight is that almost always great acts of faith are prefaced by an individual that lives day in and day out a steady, faithful life. Let's look back to Daniel the first chapter before we go to Daniel the third chapter because I believe we can learn one of the most powerful lessons about great acts of faith before we ever get to that chapter about the furnace. You see, when we start scanning some things in Daniel the first chapter, we see that Nebuchadnezzar in verse 1, king of Babylon, was come to Jerusalem and he seized it. We see in verse 3 that one of the things that he gave an order to do was to bring back at the end of 3 some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now here's his reasoning behind it in verse 4. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans, and the king appointed for them a daily provisions of the king's delicacies and of wines which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So you ever wondered what Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have looked like? You may ever wondered maybe, hey, were, were they the smart kids in school? Absolutely. They not only was of royalty, of noble descent, but they would have been very good-looking young men, and they would have been very intelligent. I don't know how they tested them, but I would think there would have been some way they would have tested these young men to say, those are the kind of men that the king would want us to bring back because they literally were to, to go into training. Just like we think of young people going to college, and oftentimes we say a four-year degree. Well, here they were going into training for a three-year degree. And I guess they didn't take summer breaks, so that would equal a four-year degree. And so at the end of that four years, they were going to be ready to serve the king in a very intelligent and official capacity. But you see, a part of their training would require them to eat and to drink what the king offered them. It was going to be a part of their preparation. But that violated their Jewish dietary laws. Now really, how big a deal is that? Now, if you don't know the story very well, let me remind you. These young men had been taken kidnapped. They had been taken miles away from their family and from their home. They weren't sitting next to a religious culture that surrounded them that was supported their belief their convictions. Really, how big a deal is it when your family's not around, very few others are around that would share that conviction, and someone wants you to eat something or drink something that God wouldn't want you to eat or drink? Is that really a big deal? Absolutely it was to them. As the rest of the first chapter unfolds, Daniel speaks up and he says to the eunuch that was caring for them, I'd like for you to feed us vegetables and water instead of these delicacies of the king. He said, I can't do that. Because in a matter of time, you're not going to look as healthy and the king's going to hold me responsible for that. He says, okay, let's do a trial run. We only need 10 days. Do it for 10 days, and if 10 days we don't look better than the others, you don't have to worry about it. In 10 days, they looked better than all of the rest. Now what does that tell us? 
That tells us from the very beginning and even what some would consider small ways. And I'm not suggesting to you that any time we disobey God, it's a small way. But I'm simply saying that many of us would say by standard, being thrown into a fiery furnace and what we eat might not be on the same level. If it's God's will, maybe we should put it on the same level. But the point is, in day-to-day, faithful living is the way you could describe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the day came that things got pretty tough, No doubt it must have been that faithful living day in and day out that caused them to have the very same attitude, the very same faith, even if their life was in jeopardy. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. When we think of some other individuals that we say they had great acts of faith in their life, how many of us would say, I just don't know if I could work a hundred years on an ark? That's amazing to think about building an ark when we've never seen a flood. Well, how did Noah do that? Well, we learn as we look in Genesis, the sixth chapter, he'd lived a righteous life when nobody else around him was living the righteous life. You see, he was getting up every morning and he was living for God even before God ever said, I want you to build an ark. Think about also as we consider the example of Job. When we look at all the loss of ten children, loss of his health, a loss of a supportive wife, a loss of supportive friends, loss of all his possessions, all of us would have to agree that would be devastating in many senses. But was it devastating to him spiritually? No. How could he have such a great act of faith in his life to not give up on God in the midst of all of those losses? But do you remember how the first verse of the book of Job opens? by him being described as a man without blemish, that he was upright, that he was faithful, and that he eschewed or he shunned evil. And even in verse 5, we see that being of the patriarchal age, he was out there offering sacrifices for each one of his children individually. Who was Job? He was a man that got up every day and said, I want to cling to what is right and I want to shun what is evil, and I'm concerned about my family's righteousness also. Every day doing the right thing. And when the great challenges come in his life, he was ready to demonstrate great acts of faith. Now, just quicker, let me mention Abraham. How could you offer your son upon an altar? Well, you remember he moved to a land that God did not even tell him where it was? When you consider that he believed that he would be the father of a great nation when he was nearing 100 years old and his wife was nearing 90 and they still didn't have a descendant? Day in and day out, he had proved his faithfulness, so when it came time to do what many of us would think was the unthinkable, he could demonstrate that great act of faith because that was the life that he lived. And then also Joseph. How could he at the end of his life, when his brothers finally come back and his father has died, how could he not seek that opportunity of revenge against his brothers? That's a tremendous act of faith. Well, look back. Here was a young man when he was 17 years old and in a foreign land wouldn't give up on God. When he's thrown in jail, he wouldn't give up on God. As a servant in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't give up on God. It didn't matter where you placed him, he was faithful to God day in and day out. And then when greater challenges of faith came, he stepped up to those. Friends, I know it sounds like a simple lesson, but I can't miss the importance of this simple lesson. 
If I read through the great hall of faith in Hebrews the 11th chapter and I flip around in the Bible the great Old Testament stories and New Testament stories and I say to myself, I want to be more like those great characters of faith. I need to realize that the way I become more like them is today I decide I want to serve God. And tomorrow I decide I want to serve God. And the next day I want to serve God. That's what builds individuals of faith that's capable for the great acts of faith as they come. Well, that great act of faith came, that opportunity for them. Let's go to the third chapter, Daniel the third chapter. And as we're looking in Daniel the third chapter, we see beginning in verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar has built a golden uh, statue or an image and the height was about 90 foot high and about 9 feet wide. And he dedicated it in verse 2. And he called all the officials and everyone together in verse 3. And he says in verse 5 that any time they hear the music, at the end of 5 you shall fall down and worship the gold image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And then in verse 8, there are some Chaldeans that realize that the Jews, referring to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they are not falling down and they are not worshiping. I want to read to you very quickly the first and second of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, the 20th chapter. I'm going to read to you verse 3 and 4 and 5. And think about this. The statue or the image has been built and the command is real simple. Bow down to it and worship it. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, they are in a predicament. They are being asked to violate the will of God. Now, the punishment is promised that whoever would do that, verse 6 of Daniel, the third chapter, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So in 12, the king calls together these Jews. And he is told that they have not paid their due regards to him and worshipped his image that he has set up. And 13, Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage of fury, calls for them. And 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, uh, that you do not serve my God or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and he names it, you fall down and worship, well, good. But then they're not willing to do that. Do you see what he's done here? Back in the first chapter, and we didn't read this part of the first chapter, but when the king saw how well that they did prosper, they were immediately invited in. No doubt he knew these young men. He impressed them as much as anybody had impressed them. That's probably why he's giving them a second chance here. You see, he's already been told that they heard the music and didn't bow down. Now he's calling them in and saying, now when you hear it, you are going to bow down and everything will be good. But if you don't, I'm going to have to throw you into a fiery furnace. 
In other words, without directly saying it, he's saying to them, I'm giving you a second chance. And you're going to hear the music in a little bit, and I want to see you bow down. Would that make you afraid? And if it did bring fear into your being, would you react to it out of fear? Or would you react to this out of faith? Notice what their answer is as we go into 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I need to see something here. Great acts of faith aren't usually rational. How can you justify the fact that all they had to do was just bow down? What's the big deal? It's a huge deal disobeying God. It's a huge deal turning against God. You see, if I want things to make sense by sight, if I want things to be 2 plus 2 equals 4, if that's my understanding of God, it's just whatever I can see that makes sense at the moment, I will never be a person of faith. Faith requires me not to live by sight, but by faith, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter teaches us. And so if someone would have been standing by watching this that had not been a person of faith, they would have watched these young men and they would have said, that makes no sense. Why wouldn't they just do the easy thing? Why wouldn't they just conform? Why wouldn't they just obey the king? Why don't they do what is rational? Also, number two, I need to realize great acts of faith, they don't do the compromise either. Think how easy it would have been to say, I tell you what, let's go ahead and bow down and he won't know whether or not we're worshiping or not. So what we'll do is we'll bow to give the appearance, but we won't really worship. No, they weren't going to be a bad example. They were not going to bow and they were not going to worship. There was no compromise involved. They simply told him, if that's the case, we don't even need to answer you. We are not going to turn against our God. But also I need to realize that great acts of faith aren't the response or responded to by fear. Look with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, this needs to become one of the theme verses of our lives. 2 Timothy, the first chapter in verse 7. As you're turning there, I want to ask you, if you had to take out a piece of paper right now and you had to write down three things on that piece of paper that would finish this sentence... And I'm not just talking about scared of the dark, okay? If you had to write down that says, I am afraid of. Think about difficult spiritual challenges that you have. Are you afraid of peer pressure? Are you afraid of being rejected? Are you afraid of being mocked? I am afraid of. What would we put in those blanks? If we had to list three things and say, this is something that really challenges my faith. These are the things when it happens, I'm just, I'm always afraid to do the right thing. At that time, I want to become more rational. I want to see it with my own eyes. I want to compromise. I, I still kind of want to do God's will, but I still kind of want to do it my way. What is it that, that we struggle with 
in our spiritual life. I'm afraid of. As we think about that, I'd like for you to think about Paul. You know how Timothy loved Paul dearly. And when we begin reading here in verse 5, he mentions the fact of 2 Timothy, the first chapter, that he knew the faith that his grandmother had and that his mother had. And notice his wording here. He doesn't say, I know the faith you have, although he probably knows it. Notice the selection of words here. He says, and I am persuaded is in you also. I believe that Paul was choosing those words to almost say to him, I believe you have more potential than what you're living up to. I'm persuaded, I'm convinced it's there. I'd just like to see a little bit more of it. There are certain passages that make us believe that Timothy must have been timid. There was something that was holding him back from stepping out into everything that he could be for God. Notice the next verse. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, some part of this timidness, this perhaps a little bit of a lack of a faith is tied into how he's using his ability. Paul says, I'm the one that miraculously laid the hands on you and I know you have that gift. Why aren't you using it? Notice the next verse. This needs to be our theme in our life. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm afraid I'm going to get thrown into that furnace. No. God doesn't give that spirit. God gives us the spirit to say, by God's power, I'm going to do the right thing. Because of God's love, I'm going to do the right thing. God gives us the spirit that says, I'm very clear in my thinking, sound mind, healthy mind. I'm not reacting to this out of fear. That doesn't come from God. I'm going to react to this out of the power and the love and sound mind that God delivers. Again, I say to you tonight, when something happens in our life and we say to ourselves, I'm afraid, just fill in the blank, that ought to be a red flag. Why are we afraid? God doesn't give the spirit of fear. Why can't we look at that same situation and say, I want to live in this situation by faith. What is it God gives me the power to do? What is it that God's love will surround me in my response to this? What is it that my mind can do, can achieve at this point to find God's will? Fear paralyzes the mind. Fear paralyzes love. Fear paralyzes the power for us to live and do the right thing. God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. As we go back to our text in Daniel the third chapter, as we go back to Daniel the third chapter, I'd like for you to notice four or five quick points here, and I'm just going to use these in bullets, and we're going to start bringing this around to a close. I need to also note about this that we've already covered. Great acts of faith are always grounded in the Word. These young men knew what the Word of God was. You remember back in the chapter 1, they wouldn't eat of that meat because it violated the dietary laws. Here, 
They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew that God was a jealous God. They knew that they were not going to bow down. We can't do great acts of faith if we don't know the Word of God that helps define our convictions and boundaries of faith. Second, it's strengthened by fellowship. I'm not suggesting to you that they could not have stood alone. Later on, Daniel goes into the lion's den alone. But you would have to... Surely we would all agree on the fact that it was a source of strength that they had others standing with them. I would guess that we as adults know this and appreciate this, and I hope that our young people grow to the point that they see and value friends that they know they can count on. I Really, I know it's amazing, but I can remember back to my high school days. And when, when you think about that, I think about you know the hundreds of people that I knew I went to the the same school all of my years there. I knew so many. But then I think about the the group that I was pretty good friends with a certain group. But you know what? I could put on less than one hand the number of friends in that whole school that I could know. They'll do the right thing. There were tons of them that claimed to be Christians. But there was only a few that I knew, no matter what, they'll do the right thing. Old or young, when we have a friend like that, we better gain strength from them. What a blessing it is when God places people in our life that we know, no matter what the situation, they'll do the right thing. Great acts of faith are also promoted by example. They'd already had the example back in chapter 1 of Daniel speaking up and saying, I'm staying with God on this one. And look how it blessed and prospered their life. No doubt that was an encouragement to them to be able to say now, I'm staying with God on this. Also, great acts of faith are demonstrated by faithfulness. We've already spent a lot of time talking about that day-to-day faithfulness is what helps us to be ready for that. But also, this last thing, Great acts of faith are always accompanied by Jesus. Do you remember the rest of this story? Let's scan a few things back in 19. Daniel, the third chapter. In 19, Nebuchadnezzar has changes his facial expression. He is so furious. He's so mad. He's told the uh, furnace to be the command to heat it up seven times more. He even brings in, in verse 20, mighty men of valor. And he takes and those men, in verse 21, they bind up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're still in their coats, they're in their their pants, they're in their turbans, they're in their garments, and they are literally thrown into the fiery furnace. And verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he asked the question, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, look. He answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls for them to come out of the fire in 26. And in 27, toward the end of it, their body wasn't hurt. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected or the smell of fire was not on them. Friends, we can't even come out of the bowling alley like that. Now, when you think about what happened that day, is absolutely amazing. To think about the fact that these individuals would be delivered by God, that alone is enough. 
to not be singed. That alone is enough. I want to ask you a question that I don't guess any of us know the answer for sure. But I think it's worth it for us to contemplate it. Them living would have been enough. Why did the Son of God come in that furnace? Was he saying to the faithful, I just want you to know that when you give your all for me, I'll always be there. Did he come so that he could say to the world, I want you to see how I love and support my children, my people. I don't know why. But if it's either one of those, I want to be among the faithful. If they would have been fearful, they would not have found themselves standing beside the Son of God. But because they were faithful, that's where they were found. That has eternal applications. Tonight, where will you be found? Tonight, if you've never been baptized into Christ, wouldn't tonight be a wonderful time to say, I want to be among the faithful? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and you've lost the way. You haven't been faithful and tonight you want to come home. Friends, it's day in and day out loving and serving a God that has always been faithful to us. There's not a person here perfect. The only way we can have salvation is by the grace of God. But our response to God's grace requires faithfulness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.